Good morning, good morning, RCC family. So good to see you guys. If you want to start to make your way to your seats, we will get ready for church. And good morning if you're watching online. We are so happy that you're joining us. If it's your first time or you're tuning in, we would love to know where you're watching from. So if you'd love to drop your name in the comment section below, we'd love to give you a proper welcome. So this morning is Family Sunday. So you are going to see kids and some other fun things in our service this morning. We also are going to be doing communion. So if you'd like to take a moment, go get you some juice and crackers. We're going to do communion at the very end of service, and we would love to have you participate with us. Um, if you are here with us today, we would love it if you would keep your mask on throughout the entirety of the service. And then that's all we need from you, really. So now we're going to jump into our lectionary. I have Naomi, who's going to read our lectionary passage, and then we're going to end out in prayer. If you guys wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's word. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who speak him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the end... All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations, nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn, that he has done it. And so, Father God, we just welcome you this morning. We thank you that you are a God whose eye is on the afflicted, that you are attuned to our need, and that you are always meeting us. God, it is an honor to worship you this morning, and we don't take that lightly. And so I just pray a special blessing over everyone in our nation and in our world who are worshiping in unique ways this morning. Lord, honor their bravery, honor their devotion. And Lord, make us truly grateful for what we have every Sunday morning to be in the community of believers. Lord, give us eyes to see one another and time just to listen and truly be in fellowship this morning. Let us have an encounter with you. Thank you for being the God that you are and for loving us so well. It is our honor and our joy to worship you this morning. And in your holy name we pray, amen. For the Universal Church, its members and its mission, we pray for the Christians in Somalia who are arrested for possibly spreading Christianity. We pray for the release of those who are arrested. We pray for the fear that is inside every believer in the area, scared for their lives, their homes, their safety. And we pray for wisdom for the Somali church leadership and how to respond. We pray for comfort and protection for the house church network in Somalia whose fear that they've now been exposed. We pray for the extremist groups who are seeking to destroy 
Would you stop them in their tracks? Would you divert all plans and all attacks that they too would come to know your name, that they would declare your name as being King and Lord? Lord, hear our prayer. for the world and all those in it. We pray for the ongoing political unrest in Myanmar as they experience their deadliest day yet, as the police try to fight off the protesters. God, would you intervene with good, wise, discerning leadership that the hearts of the people in Myanmar would be heard that you would allow Myanmar to be a place where your peace that surpasses all understanding would fall and rest upon your people, that you would advocate in the government rooms and in the government conversations for the good of your people. We pray for the humanitarian crisis that is growing in Ethiopia. God, would you send food and aid? Would you put it on the hearts and the for those in the UN and the countries surrounding Ethiopia to invade and to protect those who are innocent, to protect those who are voiceless? We cry out that you would have mercy on them, that no more lives would be lost, that there would be no more bloodshed, and that we would bear the weight that we need to carry to enact a change. Would we declare and move and act in boldness as a country of wealth to those who need our help? Lord, hear our prayer. Calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. Yeah, I know you hear us. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. We pray for the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County. We specifically pray for the Austell woman, Abigail, who is currently missing since Friday. Wherever she is, God, would you show up? If she is being held against her will in any capacity, God, would you intervene? Would you release her that she would be free, that you would begin to um, heal what has been broken? Would she be able to be identified? Would you lead police and detectives to find her? Would your sovereign hand be over her? that next Sunday we would get to declare and testify the way that you intervened. Bring comfort to Abigail wherever she is. Lord, hear our prayer.
We pray for the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it. We continue to pray for Debbie Weitzel as she navigates her cancer journey. As she's across the country, away from family, God, would you, would you send an immense amount of love and your presence to surround her? That she would know that she is not alone, that there are people in community in Smyrna, Georgia, in the states surrounding that are praying for her healing, that you would give the doctors wisdom, comfort her, strengthen her body. We pray for Dana. She's just recently been diagnosed. God, would you, would you lift the weary soul? And we, with full authority by the blood of the Lamb, we pray for healing, full healing, full restoration of her body, that cancer would be gone, that it would be no more in her body. We ask for an extravagant, supernatural outpouring of your love over her and her family that she would be without a shadow of a doubt, know that you are with her. Allow the doctors to have wisdom and discernment of what is best, but we do ask as sons and daughters of the King of the Most High, of the Most Powerful, we ask that healing would come and that healing would reign. We pray for those who are suffering in silence who carry the burden of feeling weary in stories that have gone untold. We pray that as a congregation this morning that we would just say the joy of the Lord is our strength. When it seems untrue and it, when it feels illogical that we would declare that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, hear our prayer. feeling today. All right, really quick, a couple things I'm really thankful for. Um, just want to, didn't prep this, but number one, your guys' response to groups has been pretty overwhelming. 
Um, and our goal this, this go-around wasn't to have 50 people in a group, but we felt like it would be a success if there was one person in a group. And it's been really great to see what you've been doing, and it's, uh, the heart of God is starting to service in those kind of ways. So bravo to you all. Secondly, I want to say thank you to this couple right here who's like, why are you doing this right now? So yeah, so Myra and Craig have been here for about a year, started off COVID with us. I don't think they had anything to do with bringing it, I think. <laughs> I think it was just random. Um, but so I just want to say thanks to, I meet with Craig every two weeks, and it's one of the richest conversations I have. I actually feel like I just learn every time, and the same with Myra. I don't get to spend as much time with her, but everybody who meets her. I think Becca actually said at the worship gathering when you saw Myra walk in, you looked in her eyes, and you just knew everything was going to be all right. <laughs> so best compliment ever. Anyway, I'm thankful for many other people here. There's some that I'm not yet thankful for. That's not personal. <laughs> thankful Tansy's in the house today. Can I get an Amen. Thankful Lori's in the house today. It's good to see you back. Missed you. Um, so, got a lot I could say thankful, thankful things for, but I'm just going to transition into the Word of God. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. All right, got a new podium? Because I'm a short guy, and the, the previous one was like this. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was at kids camp. That's what it felt like. All right, really quickly, just kind of an update on where we've been. Say to me, where have we been? Let's, let's get all these people to say it. Okay, good job, guys. Doing great. This side needs some work. This side's doing great. It's not a personal thing, but where have we been? So we've been traveling through what we're calling equipping the saints. Why have we been doing that? Last year, I had a, I would say a revelation from God. Um, I didn't hear a voice, but I just knew that I knew that to be in the work of ministry, especially a pastor has to be about equipping the saints, has to be about people over services, pour into people, not just gatherings. That was the gift of the pandemic was we actually got to figure out, are we spending more time on just gathering people together on a Sunday or pouring into people and helping them grow? I have no doubt in my mind that the goal of Christianity is the latter. These are good as long as the other's good. This doesn't mean that you never need to be in a gathering, but the goal is for you to be grown by God and be built by God into this temple. That's the goal. And so, so a couple things have happened. People have asked questions already. What's a saint? Well, a saint is anyone in the family of God. So that means from the guy that entered during this conversation at a church in Zimbabwe to the person sitting in this room that's been a Christian for 65 years. Who's a saint? Anyone in the family of God. So who equips? The church should be great at equipping, but Jesus through the church is the equipper still. Jesus builds out. So proximity to Jesus is massively important for a disciple. And not just on a one out of seven, 52 times a year kind of basis, right? So the last question, how do I engage in this and jump into this? I'll say this, there's no easy answer to this. And that, that we feel like we have the answer to this question quickly is a pretty good sign that we need to submit our plans to Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? You can pull up this slide. For those of you who are like, well, he did say some things. Push pause before you get frustrated. 
I'm just going to recap to you what, how Jesus did this. If we ever need to know what Jesus thinks about something, there are literally four gospels that teach us how he lived his life. There's literally accounts of how he did it. So when we're confused about the God of war from the Old Testament, who's revealed more clearly through Jesus, we should look through the lens of Jesus. We should look at how he handles situations. What is he spending his time on? Is he more about destroying the enemy? Or befriending the enemy. These are like simple things to me. I'm like, why, why are we still struggling with these as a church? Why do we still think it's about building an empire when Jesus clearly came to build the kingdom of God? Which look like the Beatitudes, not, not winning the war. Like it, this is clarity for me, for, for us to know that we have the gospels as an actual account to see the love of Christ and how he permeates the world. How today we learn that he's not interested in building walls, but building a temple. Ah, oh, that's so good. I could stop there, and you would have got nothing. <laughs> so we'll move on. All right, passing along side the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going along a little farther, he came, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father, Zebedee, in a boat with the hired servants and followed him. So Jesus, to enter the conversation of bringing people on to be equipped to become saints, first step is an invite. Everybody say invite. Now here it's a literal invite. It's like, hey, come and follow me. A couple other things accompanied this. There was a desire from the invitee to follow. So it wasn't like, are you serious? Like we, oh, nobody followed like that. So the, the invitation was so form-fitted to where they were that when it happened, it was a better yes than not following. Does that make sense? So it wasn't like he had to spend this massive amount of time trying to convince people why it would be beneficial. There was a drawing in place. There was a drawing and almost like a wooing to say, this actually makes sense. I should do this. A couple other things were very present in the invite stage. So one is they were still immature and selfish, still very immature and selfish, so much so that he couldn't really share where he was going because it would have confused them. If he told them, and he actually does later on in the gospels, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna actually die. They, they didn't even, he said those literal words to them and they didn't hear it. So he said the actual thing and they were like, wait, what? What you said this, I said the exact words to you, but your brains and minds could not understand it. So it was like this. If you want to know how I explain to you how we go about equipping the saints, it would be like me saying, we're going on a journey. And this is the beginning. And that journey, it goes places we don't know yet. It looks like this. The morning after Jesus selected disciples, they all woke up, right? Get in your brain. Jesus selected these people. They're sleeping outside, of course. Hey, guys, wake up. It's breakfast time. We're having eggs and not bacon. We're having other things. We're going to have some breakfast foods. So they're waking up, and they're sitting around, and they're like, just fresh off of, we made this decision for Jesus, right? And they're like, well, what are, you, what are we going to do today? And each day it was something different. And one day it was like, we're going to a feast. We're going to a wedding feast. And they were like, we're going to do this like every day? Is this part of our minute? We're just going today. 
And one day they traveled through a town. And one day they avoided a town because there was trouble. And one day they just sat and asked questions to each other. And one day the disciples were like, no, actually, we think we know what you need to do. And Jesus had peace and patience and led them through that. But at no point did he give them exactly where the ending was because he probably knew that if they had too much information, they would want to disconnect from the source. So to me, a clear invitation for all of us, which is more confusing for us than them, is that there's no opportunity to do this journey without Jesus. Literally impossible. But we do it all the time. We do it through discipleship programs that alleviate the need for dependence. We do it through the way that we worship and how we attend churches. We do it through what we think discipleship should look like. And that's something for me I have to really settle into is I feel like I have a good picture of what you all need. And just when I land there, Jesus is like, you don't know when I'm leading them into a desert for clarity. You don't know when I'm leading them into something so massively revelatory about their own identity that they can use that identity for my kingdom and not themselves. You don't know the exact plan for each person. You do know Jesus. You do know the cornerstone. So if you're already annoyed about how much we're spending an emphasis on being with Jesus and creating space for things like the disciplines, this is probably the day you should be like, I need to go to another church because it's only going to get worse. (laughs) It's only going to get worse for you. Being with Jesus and creating space for him to form us is everything. You're actually going to be annoyed by the amount I talk about Jesus over the next year. If just the word Jesus is frustrating and triggering to you, We need to provide inner healing right after service because you're going to hear it so much that you're going to be so annoyed. This whole thing to me is about being in the proximity of Jesus. It really is like waking up the morning after being selected and being like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing today? You know, like, what are we doing? (laughs) And for them, what I love about the invitation that they had was that it wasn't an invitation to do ministry. That would come. But the the simple parts of this that we totally overlook is there's a season for these disciples where they're just learning the cadence of how he speaks, what it is that he speaks, and how he sees them. He's spending time in such a way that in the future they'll know, oh, that's Jesus speaking, and I know it. But that came through a journey of not accomplishing a ministry. Yeah, they were a part of things. They usually did it wrong. They usually did ministry wrong, right? Especially in the beginning. But they learned how their father talked. So the question for them wasn't, what do we do today? It's always, what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus' heart? It never became, we got this. Like, we can figure it out. My mom's been telling me I need to sit closest to you. So what do you think about that? The closest in the kingdom is the least. They're not even, nobody's ready for what Jesus has right off the bat. But we are ready to be invited on a journey right? Can I get an amen? amen? Hallelujah. I could stop there. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go some other places. I have so many notes. I had such a hard time preparing this content. All week, even this morning, I've tried to whittle my thesis down for equipping the saints. It's one full paragraph. A thesis. A thesis should be like, love God, love people. But mine's like, I'll just read you a little bit. Jesus invites, yes, to follow, yet not for ministry. And not just to get what they want. They're clearly drawn. They're clearly wanted. They're clearly immature and selfish, right? It's instantly receiving. This is important. This is what they instantly received. 
They did not become the head and not the tail and the leader of the ministry. Instantly, belonging. Everyone say belonging. belonging. They literally felt what it felt like to be chosen. Everyone say chosen. chosen. Which within the kingdom is not in competition of other people being chosen. Right? They literally felt family. Everybody say family. family. Right? And they literally had access to Jesus all the time. Everybody say they literally had access to Jesus all the time. Amen. Amen. These are just basic essentials to Christianity. The basic essentials are your proximity to Jesus on the basis that you have already been selected and chosen. Right? We've been talking about we are the beloved. Everybody say, I am the beloved. You are the beloved. We are the beloved. This is not something up for grabs anymore. This is the part that is accomplished, that we live into. This is what they received right when they step in. Jesus has selected me. This is their framework. I'm literally in community right now with other people who have no idea what's happening, even though they think they do. I have a family that I'm walking with daily. I literally have access to Jesus at all times. I can be with Jesus at all times. This is the basis of Christianity. So when we talk about equipping the saints, which comes from chapter four, we want to get to the spot where we tell you how you're gifted and how you can impact the kingdom. Jesus's entry is not just ministry. If ministry starts first for you, it's in the wrong spot and it will be used the wrong way. We'll wield it for our own power, right? We'll need stages and not altars. We'll need platforms and not one-on-ones. We'll need these things if the things are out of place, right? This is important to know. You cannot replace being with Jesus first. And in community, that's where it happens. In community, we are formed by people which God selects. Did any of the disciples say, I've got some input about who the next should be? Like, I, like a fantasy football draft. Like, can I invite my buddy as well? Jesus already knew. When we sit in a gathering, whether it's a life group or a church, Jesus is the one that draws those people, which is why I hate such a polished invitational promotional gospel because it really only targets one kind of person and we're the ones targeting one kind of person. Jesus is not. It should be eclectic. There should be Jew and Gentile. There should be people who were literally at war with one another in the same room. (laughs) What's better than the kind of community that comes after contention and strife? There's probably some things. You get what I'm saying, right? Like, that's the point. I am going to ramble, but jamble today, and that's okay. So what are we up against? Here's what we're up against. We're up against what you already know about the gospel and Christianity. And some of you have just walked in to Christianity, and you're like, what I know is that they're power hungry, and that they're typically what they're against, and I'm not very interested in that version of it. And then there's some of you who have been raised in the church who come with all of these other things, and then there's all of us who have a busy schedule, and it's okay to have Christianity as a secondary thing. That's just part of the church these days. Like, I'm going to add Christianity into my walk as if I'm adding yoga into my week. Yeah, I'm going to do yoga on Monday. I'm going to do Jesus on Tuesday. I'm going to do baseball on Wednesday. Fantasy football for, like, that's how we do it. But to become the Talmudine, and you can pull this up, to become a disciple of Jesus. This is a quote from, we found it this morning. I wanted a definition of Talmudine because I like it. Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbis teach. 
And each rabbi had his own unique interpretation of the Torah. The Torah is a law that the people lived by and had been given to them by God through Moses. Each rabbi's unique interpretation of the law was his yoke. Everybody say yoke. So when a young man chose a specific rabbi to follow and learn from, he took on the yoke of the Torah from the rabbi. This particular style of this person's teaching as a rabbi is what I'm coming up under. Does that make sense? So the rabbi became his master. We love that word, right? Everybody get an amen for the rabbi became my master, right? And that disciple, Talmudin, accepted that rabbi's interpretation and embraced it to step into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus or an apprentice of Jesus or a follower of Christ or a Christian is to take on the yoke of the rabbi that we now claim to be the reason we're here. And the invitation should feel like a drawing, not a being convinced, right? Not, a, I'm gonna convince you why you need to do this and you just continue in it for 30 years and your heart's never fluttered once. Right? There are versions of the gospel where we are told to accomplish things and it never permeates into the depth of our I want, I desire. I see how this is actually bringing life over death. That's also something we have to be up against. That many people in churches, especially in America, have been sitting there for years, dead inside, plenty of money in their banks, plenty fine house, friendships, connections, but not walking as a disciple. It should feel like a radical shift. The simplicity of this interest, invitation, should feel like in our life there has become a radical shift in the way that we are humans. People should be able to see the temple and say something is uniquely strange about that group, right? And so... I want you to keep all of the things I've just said in your framework because this is what we're building around over the next months. That we are to equip the saints and a part of equipping the saints is knowing your rabbi and the best way to do that to start is to be with Jesus. So if things like silence and solitude or community or Christian friendship or discipleship, if all of those things trigger you, it's time to start stepping into why. If you've never felt awakened or drawn, it's, try, it's time to step in and say, I haven't felt that but I would like to, is that possible? So instead of like this mindset of frustration and sarcasm towards seeing others that are experiencing life in Jesus, saying possibly, Father, is there a way that this can happen for me that can become real? I can't tell you what a Snickers tastes like until I eat one. I can't tell you what ice cream tastes like until I eat it. I can't tell you my favorite food is Italian food or penny vodka or whatever unless I've eaten it. And Jesus doesn't expect that we explain what we don't have. So his invitation is yes and amen, but it's towards us specifically to where we're at. And this is why it's so beautiful. We get to see each other's journeys together. And some of you are actually going through a desert right now that, that God has sent you into to clarify some things. And some of you are celebrating a wedding that you just, some of you are celebrating friendship. Some of you have had aha moments in your walk with God. All of these things are collected in a body. And this is the body that he is building. And this is all important. So I wanna read you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you mine. I don't even know what's next. Can you pull it up? Because I, I prepped it. So it looks something like this. So if I were to say to you, what does it look like to step into this? There should be some type of revolutionary awakening in your life at some point. 
tracking scripture and seeing people that have said yes to Jesus, there is some point where it became their own. They wanted to choose it. You're triggered, some of you, because your season was like mine, which was long-term. I had a childhood of hearing about Jesus. I had 712 altar experiences where I was afraid I was gonna spend my eternity in hell. I prayed the prayer so many times that I don't know when it took. I had experiences with Jesus over a long period of time where I learned his voice as a shepherd, as a humble, loving, peaceful. I needed to hear it this way. It took him time. So my revolutionary awakening was a massively long season where he had to unwire and deconstruct some of the culture's ways of teaching me that Jesus speaks. And I love it. Like I, that's enough for me to be like, I, don't, I can't point to October 12th, 1986, where I was standing at Billy Graham's revival and this guy ran past me and gave me a dove and the dove flew away. That didn't happen for me. But also, some of you in here, that did happen for. I had a friend once that I was, I was here making fun of tracks. I was making fun of tracks as a pastor. And my friend came up afterwards, and he didn't even come to the service. I had a meeting with him. His name's Gordon. He helps me coach my daughter's team. And he was like, oh, he shared his salvation experience to me. He was saved by a track. I was like, man, I got to tell you, I just made fun of these. So... So here's the deal. God knows what each of us needs. And as we are awakened by him and drawn by him, he form fits his invitation to be right where we're at. And in the saying yes to it, he leads us into exactly what he has next for us. And it's, it's a dependency on him, right? It's not a one-off. It's not like one in, one out, I'm good. Salvation, which is another roadblock for us. You're saved, you're done, you die, you go to heaven. Is that enough? That's just not enough for me to make sure I'm not going there, I'm going here, and then I've got this gap of like 60 years. What do I do with my life? I guess I just make money and do, st- I don't know, just do stuff. No, kingdom formation as a Talmudine and a disciple is to become the body of Christ and to permeate the earth with, with his gospel, which is him. This is the call of a Christian, right? To be salt in the earth. That's a joy to think about to me. That's a joy to think about. So I'm gonna read you something completely unrelated. And I'm not gonna preach forever today, but I'm also not gonna make myself speed up. And so Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, I'd like you to open your um, tablets to this, please. Or your iPhones. Or your actual Bibles. Saints. Just kidding. Just kidding. Come on, guys. I'm gonna read it. All right, here we go. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the flesh, in the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. He did that by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So much jam-packed in that, I cannot even, it's like a paintbrush that you, like, you think you clean it and you're like, oh, nope, I'm going to be here for another 30 minutes. That he might create in himself one new man or woman in place of the two. So making peace. So just for clarity, Jew, Gentile, one new man in place of the two, right? And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. 
thereby killing the hostility. So Christ is about killing, but what is he killing? Killing. <laughs> He's killing, killing. Y'all tweet that. Somebody. It won't even make sense to people. They'll be like, that makes sense. I love that he kills death on the cross. He literally kills death. That's the, the strongest tool that humanity had to offer against or the principalities of the spirit had to offer were death to Christ. He kills Ah, another paintbrush. We got paintbrushes all over. I don't even like cleaning them. I'm just going to leave them. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off Gentiles and to those who are near Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's too much here, and I'm too in it. I want to let this speak to you. While I said the things in the beginning, which we need to put a pen in, this is important. And so, a couple of things. Did these people forget what happened last week? Right? Do you remember what we talked about last week? How they are now alive in Christ? They're not dead anymore? Does this group of people at a church need to be reminded that they do not have animosity with brother and sister, with Jew and Gentile? Can you imagine this community of people in the same room? This is not like the possibilities of a conservative and a liberal in this room. This is literally people, well, this is literally people willing to kill one another and by legal right could in certain scenarios. Now in the same room, under Christ, not so that they could become the better Jew or the better Gentile, but so that they, be, they could become the new humanity. This gave the ability for people to be in a room. And so all of your immaturity is now surfacing in this setting because they're not doing one day a week with each other. They're walking together. And so whenever you're rubbed the wrong way by how Kara did that thing or by how Levi does that thing or by however, is that person a liberal? Is that person a conservative? Wait a second. Did you see what they posted? Like, if Facebook wasn't alive here, I don't know if we'd have the gospel. They had to deal with what it was like to be immature in Christ, growing with other people who are immature in Christ. But they made this resolve that I believe God is waiting on us to do and it will wait forever. We're like, no, we need more denominations. No, we need more walls. Our kids know to be safe, we draw a line, we, we split their room and over here your side, Nava, and over here your side, Noah, and do not cross over, right? We know that walls create peace. But according to this passage, walls do not create peace. Peace is Jesus, son of a nutcracker, Peace is Jesus. Jesus is peace. 
So back to the beginning, you being with Jesus, can you possibly be an ambassador for peace without a connection to your rabbi? It is impossible. And if you do not have that connection, then your democratic or conservative friend will continue to be the biggest moron in your life and you will never be able to reconcile through the cross of Jesus. This is what they had to deal with. So when other communities were looking into the Ephesian community, they would, they would literally see people that they knew should not be together. And they weren't informed yet, so they just saw people together. They were like, what the heck is happening? And the preacher in this scenario, or whoever was there, if it was Paul or somebody else carrying the word that day, would say, you're now witnesses to the kingdom come and the will be done. And then they're like, what is, wait, what? I can step into that space and I don't have to become hostile with those people? See, we think it's about this portrait of being this polished disciple or polished leader that provides for our world what it looks like to be invited into Christianity. We already know that what it looks to be like a famous Christian is not holding up, right? We already can tell by these people who lead these massive organizations that can't hold more than they were ever supposed to hold because it was never about a personality. We already know that that's not working. So what does it look like? It's not leadership, even though it is. I understand. I have people in here who are like, leadership, amazing. Calm down. It's discipleship. It's discipleship. Discipleship looks different from leadership. It might lead to leadership. But even the leadership within the context of Scripture is about serving. It's about serving. Oh, I'm, I'm in a whole different message at this point. That's okay. So, now peace isn't the absence of conflict and hostility, but the presence of Christ. And we're called to that peace because we're called to that new humanity. You can pull up uh, Galatians 3.28 real quick. I just want to read this to you. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you all are one in Christ. Good Lord. There's so much here. This is given not as something that you work towards. This is given as if it's already accomplished. Christianity that spends its entire focus on what you have already accomplished will leave you from stepping into what it means to be the Talmudin. You are chosen. Say it back to me. I am chosen. chosen. You belong. Say it back to me. We spend our time wanting to know if those two things are true. They are true. They are the foundation, they are the entrance. And if that's the case, then he can work on the deeper things, the heart, the heart where the things happen. So this last part of this passage is about building. It's really just kind of like replete with building language, right? Um, But it's not about building a wall. It's about being built. It's about what happens when believers are in the presence of Jesus as the cornerstone. And we did this thing in our staff this last week, and I, I feel like I got a picture which was helpful for me, and I want to share with you that picture if that's okay. So I was praying about this passage, and I love the part of this passage that talks about him as the cornerstone. And I think we get that. Like, cornerstone, of course, if you're in building, which maybe none of you are. Anybody here in building? Yeah, none of us. But the cornerstone's important, right? <laughs> the, the cornerstone's a big deal. So... 
We don't typically build things like that, but in my mind, I got the picture of those blocks like when people are kids. You remember the blocks when you were a kid and you built them up and that made something stupid and, and you just built them up, right? I think I even had these when I was in church as a kid. But I got this picture of all of the blocks being built up in this one corner piece. And then in the picture, you remove the corner piece and all of the bricks like toppled. And as soon as the corner piece was removed, all of the bricks were like mad at each other that they toppled. And all of the bricks were focused on all the other bricks. And all the other bricks are just kind of laying around, like wondering what's happening. They're possibly even deconstructed or broken down. And they're just kind of frustrated at everything. And then I saw this picture of the focus from each brick going on that cornerstone. Please forgive me for how like, childlike this is. Each brick stopped thinking about the bricks around it and started to focus on the cornerstone. And as sh- they shifted to not the bricks around it, who are stupid, because they are, who are more mature and less mature, because they are, who are older and younger, because they are, who are too trendy, more like Atlanta Christians, because they are. (laughs) Don't get me on Atlanta Christians right now. As they focused on this, they begin to shift into their spot, but they were not selecting their spot. And as they were, but, but as soon as one would look away, they would start to bicker with another one. They'd be like, oh, you stupid brick. And that brick would start to kind of settle back But as soon as they would refocus, they would settle into their spot. And they didn't really care who was right next to them because their focus was on the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, it already has a job. So Christ is not only the cornerstone, but the constructor of the temple. So he's the only one that knows where we actually fit. If we decide where we fit, we're gonna have like 15 worship leaders, like six pastors, nobody stacking chairs ever. We're just all going to be up here. We're all going to be up here like people, just remember, like we're all going to preach to nobody, right? So he knows exactly where we need to go. And when she took her eyes off Jesus as she sat down, <laughs> you just got to focus on the cross. <laughs> Only you would I do that too, by the way. So, so this was a part of the, of the picture I'm not adding anything extra spiritual to this. This was not a prophetic dream. Let it do for you what it do for you, okay? But as they could not figure out how to get back together, they began to sing simple choruses together. The bricks were singing choruses. And as they sung, people that were outside now began to come back in. As they were centrally focused on singing now, not just looking, but also vocalizing their focus. The temple was constructed, and then I saw within this child bricks the image of Jesus, which is, that's the scripture, right? He's building a house into which he can dwell. So, so for this community of Ephesian Christians, there was never the concept that church was a building. That was never the concept. They, they met in living rooms or outside, The church to them was always the people. It was always the collection of reclaimed, reformed followers of Jesus who were pursuing him. It would have been confusing to them to say, River City meets in Market Square. River City Church is there. They'd be like, wait, what? Because the church is us, right? So people don't go to a church That's not what happens. Bricks and saints don't attend a church. I think I have this in a quote. Do I have this in a quote, Bill? It's possible I have this in a quote. I I threw a lot at him this morning. 
A new group of aliens and strangers, now citizens with all the saints, filled his household. Not a place that saints go, but where God chooses to dwell. So now is it not only important for you and your spiritual walk, right? Think of romantic dating songs for worship instead of songs that exalt God, right? That's like, that's what really appeases that Christian. Like, give me some romantic love songs. The Christian that God is forming us into is the Christian that exalts Jesus no matter what. And desert on mountaintop. So in this scenario, it's important for you to create the space to be with Jesus, not because it's just good, but because this is the temple in which he dwells. And as each brick, which are people, not bricks, is focused on the cornerstone, that temple is constructed. And there's inclusion for a lot in that, pro- that process. Your mistakes, think of the disciples' mistakes alone, all of them. One of them denied Jesus multiple times in the most pivotal time in Jesus' life. Two of them were fighting about who is the best. We don't even do that here, or, or do we? Maybe we've already settled it. Maybe you've already settled it. Some of us know exactly what everybody needs for them to love Jesus. Some of us knows exactly the style of gathering that would just spark a revival. That's the spot in which the follower of Jesus submits their plans to Jesus. Because the new thing God did 40 years ago is not the new thing God is doing right now. The new thing God is doing now is the new thing God is doing now. So to me, I I see it. I see this movement and awakening of revival, if you will, of people who are deeply formed by God, not fickle and only going after what they enjoy about the walk with Christ, but submissive people. That will go through deserts because people need to see what it's like to go through deserts. Submissive people that will love people who are broken and hurting and not tell people when they're coming in, you're not allowed here because people need to see that they belong. People who will literally die for their faith is what he's building. That does not happen in power dominance theology. If your Christianity is about you receiving all that God has for you for the rest of your life, you are going to be dissatisfied and you're gonna be hard to be around. You're going to be really hard to be around. And some of you are really hard to be. Just kidding. <laughs> We're all perfect. I feel like we should just all share this with other churches because we've got it, you know? No. So here's what I'm going to close with. Please don't get fixated on your moment of awakening, on whether or not it happened, whether or not you had a revolutionary awakening that felt but present yourself in a way that God could do a new thing, a new invite. person who's been walking with Jesus for 50 years, you wake up in the morning, you sit with your rabbi, and you say, Jesus, what for today? Just as fresh as these disciples. And he might say, we're going to a wedding in Canaan. Or he might say, today, guys, you can't actually go with me, but you can pray for me, and then you fall asleep. You might, he might say whatever he wants to say. But the idea is that each day is what you get. Today, the invitations for right now are what you get. You can come up. Young lady, young lady in the River City shirt. And I am certain he is inviting. I'm so certain. And you don't look like them and they don't look like you, but he is with you. He's always right with you. It's just awareness. Father, Let my eyes see. Let my heart be opened. 
I don't experience awakening. I haven't heard what Josh said. I don't feel like the church is for me. Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me just at least be moldable. What is it that you're saying? Like just that part of your heart that's like, I'm open. And it might be so radical that you're embarrassed about how radical it is, or it might be so simple that you're embarrassed about how simple it is. But he's present and forming. I see this happening in our guys group and some of you here are in it, and this was not like an elite group. This was a group of people who were pursuing discipleship. And I see people growing because it's transitioned from a one-off on a Sunday or just kind of walking in what we think it's supposed to be to like daily decisions to be together. To grow. I see people growing like rapidly. And I think that's for all of us. I think that's the next invitation for you is to take it from being like yoga and let it be more like a journey. It'd be like you waking up in a different country this morning and being like, now what do I do? Because this country, you can pull up this. This just happened to connect. So thank you, Jesus. This is the message version of the end of this passage. That's the plain, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers and outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you and he's fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. That's beautiful.
Jesus. into this with us. We don't know all the answers, but we know Jesus and we're going to work towards him. And I believe I see a group of people who will grow in Christ. And I'm just asking you to jump in with us in that. Learn with us, go after him together. And so Father, we need you to be shepherd and teacher and we sense your moving and your work. You are drawing us as a community. It's as if we're a disciple, our whole community, and we're saying yes to you collectively, God. Let us look upon this year as a year of accelerated growth because we chose to go with you at your pace, which could even be slow. And we thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bless you guys, love you guys. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.